morning, everybody. Um, before we get started, uh, Daniel, could you start us up with a word of prayer, please? Thanks. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and give you honor and glory. Mm-hmm. You're the one who is worthy of all our praise, worthy of all our worship. So, Lord, would that be on our minds, especially on this day, but all days. We would come before you with thanksgiving, come before you with repentance, come before you as rejoicing, knowing our Savior lives, and that he intercedes on behalf of us. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that is with us, helps us grow and understand your word better, and guides us in the ways that you are teaching us. Lord, we ask that you would be with those who are teaching us, Lord, be with Dirk, as he is teaching on this mysterious but important topic. Whether we be attentive um, mm-hmm. to what you're teaching us through him. And also, Lord, pray for the service, Lord, as mm-hmm. we hear from your word through Pastor Thomas. Uh, would you bless all that we send you today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Um, so, we're on our ninth, now out of ten, lessons on the decrees of God. So y'all are here as guests today visiting, uh, and you're entering in on lesson nine, just so you know, so you have like a little bit of catching up to do in terms of that, in terms of like, if anything is confusing or like a little bit difficult to follow, then it's maybe helpful to go and listen to those previous ones. But um, we have uh, an introduction. I'm just always going to introduce what we've been through so far. So the first time, as we're, we're talking about the decrees of God, and the first time we talked about this doctrine and we proved it from scripture the way that the catechism teaches the the biblical basis of this and then from there we went into who god is and we talked a little bit about him just a brief intro kind of like how does this help us safeguard us and guide us a good understanding of god when we're studying this topic and then after that we talked about god's incomprehensibility which doesn't mean you can't know anything just means you can know there's certain things you can't know about god because he's god and we're human so that aspect of mystery and faith and worship. But then after that, we talked about evil and suffering and the character of God. So how does the decrees of God, the fact that God knows all things, that he's sovereign, how does that relate to evil and suffering and the pain that's in the world? And so that's a very mysterious and complicated topic. And then after that, we talked a bit about free will and God's sovereignty. If God is in control of all things and if God is working and and decreed all things whatsoever comes to pass, then how does that connect to our free will. And then after that, we talked about God's knowledge of the future. If God knows the future. Certain people will say he doesn't know the future. And we talked about that was another lesson. Then we started talking the last two times about the doctrine of election. The Bible obviously over and over calls Christians elect, calls them the elect. And uh, so we have to make sense of this and understanding why are some people saved and why are other people not saved? And trying to understand the mystery behind that and understanding the complexity of that topic and, un- and unpacking that biblically was what we did on that lesson. And then the last one, we talked about the fruits of the doctrine of election. So like, what does, the, what does that doctrine produce in the life of a Christian? And then when we saw the fruit of what it produces, and we thought, wow, that like really helps to, under- helps to undergird and helps to establish our understanding of that doctrine if we can see what does this produce in the world what does this produce in life and how does this impact um christians and so 
You might remember that I did four H's for the lesson last week. Do you guys remember? Can one of you guys name any of those four H's of what the doctrine of election produces in the life of a believer? Humility. Yes. So humility for the best saints. Hope. Yeah, hope for the worst of sinners. Help. Help for the cause of missions. Yeah, homage to the name of God. So those are four things. So helpful to get those four H's in your mind. And those would be useful, I think, for explaining this to other people or just helping yourself to get a better grasp on it as well. So um, today, what we're going to do is we're going to focus a bit more on the second question of the catechism. So we obviously have been going through these. The second one, mostly what we've been talking about today, obviously they're interconnected very intimately, so it's impossible to talk about one without like discussing the others, but most of what we've been talking about has been focused a lot on the first question, but today we're going to end the next lesson. We're going to dive a little bit into creation and providence, but um, Seth is going to be taken over next, and then someone else will be taken over after that, and they'll be diving. The reason I'm not going to touch on those topics, creation and providence that much, is because there's whole questions in the catechism just talking about creation and just talking about providence. So I think Seth told me he's already got like eight lessons or something prepared on the topic of creation. So for instance, he's going to go into much detail. So today what we're going to do is we're just going to briefly start touching on this uh, creation today and then providence next time, helping understand what do those words mean? How does that make sense in the world? And uh, basically my aim today is to just connect the teaching of creation with um, the decree of God, under, connecting it and trying to understand how does this relate to it? How does this make sense? And then also later doing the same with providence and basically we'll be just walking through several biblical teachings biblical realities related to the doctrine of creation like how does that relate to uh, the decrees of god and um, yeah what we understand is that as the question says here how does god execute his decrees it says god executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence so the decree is that thing that it's eternal in god by which God has foreordained everything. And then there's this other aspect, which is how it actually comes into fruition, which is in creation and providence. So we'll be touching on both of those uh, very briefly, and then someone else will go and give you a much more detailed and more thorough explanation of those things. And so the first thing I want to do is just review again the questions, like we always do. So what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are His eternal purpose. So how does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Thanks, y'all. So the amazing thing here we see is this definition of what the decrees of God are. And then how do these things relate to us? How do these things get unpacked in the world? And how do we see them? Well, that's in creation. That's in providence. So the first thing we're going to look at today is creation. And so there's a lot of things you think about when you think about the doctrine of creation. And probably I won't be talking about most of those things today. <laughs> um, what, what, what we often think about is, well, was the world made in seven days or in many days or how many days or all those kind of questions. That's not what I'm talking about this time. I think Seth will look at it more in uh, later lessons. What I'm focusing on is more like the doctrine or the theology of creation and how that relates to the decrees of God and kind of trying to tie that in, uh, connect that together. Not going to go into super detail into all the different 
questions we may have because those will be will be addressed later. So the first thing we're going to look at today regarding the doctrine of creation is the fact that God, His decree is coming into into fruition, into reality, and He creates. Okay, so that's what we're looking at today, creation. The first thing we're going to look at is that God created everything out of nothing. Okay, the first thing we look at. So Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So there was a beginning. There was a beginning. A day when that began, beginning took place, the first point, and God created everything, the heavens and the earth. Romans 4 verse 17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. There's a good way of thinking of this doctrine of creation out of nothing. Is the fact that God creates everything, those things that do not exist as though they did. Acts 17 verse 24 says, God made the world and everything in it. So there is a time, there is a moment in the beginning when God made the world and everything in it. So this doctrine is biblical. This doctrine is true. Um, the way that people often refer to this is this very famous phrase, which I don't usually, I'm not always going to tell you the Latin or whatever for something, but when it's talking about out of nothing, if you're reading a book, it's often going to say ex nihilo, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And, there, and, it, and I think if you keep on studying, keep on reading and things like that, you're going to come across this phrase, ex nihilo. What that really means is just out of nothing. You've heard of a nihilist, maybe? Maybe you haven't, <laughs> but that's okay too. A nihilist is someone who believes there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's nothing, right? So N-I-L-I-S-T, something like that. N-I-H-I-L-I-S-T, there we go. Nihilist, so that's somebody who doesn't believe in any purpose or meaning or whatever. So ex nihilo means from or out of nothing. It's a good way to understand it. So, so he made the world out of nothing. There was nothing. It's not like he used some Play-Doh to form it. It's not like he used some previously existing stuff to make the world. He was there. God was there. There was nothing except him. And he spoke and stuff appeared. Stuff was created. Stuff was brought into existence. That's how God's decree was executed in the first step in creation. was out of nothing. So it starts, so his execution of his decree begins here in creation. And he speaks everything into existence out of nothing. And this is the point where everything began, when it all began for anything that was outside of the perfect triune God and his perfect unity, love, and communion. There was never anything else outside of that until he decided to make things outside of that. He is the first, the primary, the center of all things, the greatest ultimate thing that there ever was or ever will be so he's sitting he's there by himself and then out of nothing he creates the world so there was a moment when god decided to create time so he decided to create matter he decided to speak and to create the universe and the earth and all the creatures and every single thing that we see currently around us there was a moment when that didn't exist and then there's a moment when it did exist it's very important to realize that related to god so um this means that the world is not eternal. Okay, the world is eternal maybe into the future, but the world is not eternal into the past. There was a, yes, Richard? You're not saying, I'm just clarifying. Yes, sir? You're not saying that there was a moment in God where that was a reality and not, but there was a moment where the world was. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Like he, he always knew he would do this because he knows everything. And he always had this plan within himself, right? It's a part of his whole... Right. Then at one moment in time, there had to come some moment, not related to him. He doesn't, he's not within time like us. But he spoke, he created time. He spoke, he created the world, 
But I, I love it. Thanks, Richard, for keeping me on track. So, um, so yeah, out of nothing. So this fact that God created everything out of nothing is a key doctrine because it maintains that there's a key difference between the Creator, that's God, and the creature, that's us. It, it establishes this difference. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's the ultimate, and we are not. We are a creature. We created in time. Um, and this is actually something that I've been using regularly throughout this study to explain certain things or to help us understand certain things or to highlight the mystery and the difficulty of certain things, right? This idea that God is creator, so he knows everything. We're a creature. We are different from him. And so regularly you've heard me referring to this fact that, you know, God does not owe us anything or he does not need to explain himself. He does not need to sit here and make all these elaborate explanations for why he did or did not do certain things because he's God. He's the creator. There's a difference between him in entirety, between him and the way we are as creatures. And this is important for us to realize, okay, because there's a lot of religions and a lot of philosophies that don't have this distinction between the creator and the creature. There's a lot of, there's a lot of views like that. So some other religions believe, for instance, that we are little gods or that we are part of God. Not that we are create creatures made separate from God, but we are God. So we're this reincarnated, this um, constantly changing or constantly being reborn kind of emanation or reality that is God. Okay, And so that's a mistake, right? Because it's actually to make us equal with God. It's, a, it's, it's honestly to make a, a, a wrong assessment of who God is and who we are. There's other people who you know say that each of us, each of our souls have existed for, if, in, for eternity into the past, right? That there wasn't a moment where our souls were created, but that we're being reincarnated constantly, that our souls are eternal. That's not the case, though. The reality for the Christian worldview, the reality for our perspective is actually that we, in a moment's time, uh, well, we in our mother's womb, knit together with the soul, but the world, everything that there is in a moment's time was created and that stuff is categorized as created stuff. And God is the creator of that stuff. And it makes it a very important distinction. And so in this relation, Herman Bobbing says, From the very first moment, true religion distinguishes itself from all other religions by the fact that it construes the relationship between God and the world, including man, as that between the creator and his creature. So the idea of an existence apart from and independent of God occurs nowhere in Scripture. God is the sole, unique, and absolute cause of all that exists. So every single thing that exists, God is the one who caused it. God is the one who created it. God is the one who is speaking that into existence, and that means he's different, right? And that's what we learn from the fact that God created the world out of nothing. And uh, like I said at the beginning, I'm not pretending to cover every single grand possible point that we can deduce from this fact that God created the world out of nothing. That would be a bit outrageous in uh, 30, 40 minutes time. Um, but it gives you a good idea. These, I'm going to go through four points, just very good, big picture, important things that help us understand who God is, who, who God is, who created and why he created. So the next thing is that God created everything to reveal himself. God created everything to reveal himself. Okay, so this is a very interesting thing to look at. So God created the world for his own glory and for his own enjoyment and also to communicate in his creation who he is and what he's like. 
The very amazing reality about creation is that God did not just want to be forever God, which he, in, in and of himself, he wanted to create other beings, other things outside of himself to which he could show himself, to which he could communicate himself, and he even wanted to create a world that displayed what he's like and displayed his nature, displayed his characteristics. So to see this in Scripture, Romans 1 verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So his eternal power and his His characteristics are made evident in the things that he made. Very amazing teaching of scripture there. Then Psalm 19 verse 1. And the rest of Psalm 19 adds to this and speaks about different types of revelation of God revealing himself and such. But in Psalm Psalm 19 verse 1 it says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. So in other words, the heavens, the things that were created by God, Show forth the glory of God. They teach you something about who God is and what he's like. So what we can summarize this as is that in creation we see the power of God, the kindness of God, the beauty of God, and so many things about God. You know, like Jesus is talking and he says that the, or, or in scripture we see that the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's God's kindness to all people. For God gives food to all the animals. He gives food to all the people. We see these kindness, the beauty of God in the sunset and the sunrise and all these different things. And so creation, God's, God's making of the world and everything in it, is actually a way for him to reveal himself. Um, which as a, as a short side point on this note, we're then very, very unsurprised, right? When we look at the world and we see order and we see beauty and we see... Um, very sophisticated laws of physics and science and all these different things that are making this whole thing work. We're then very surprised to find that when we read scripture, God is actually a God of order. He's a God of beauty. He's a God of precise and goal-oriented focus. He's not a God of chaos and confusion. He's not a God of disorder. And so we, we can, in some sense, refer back from creation. If we look at creation... Man, it's orderly. It's purposeful. And if we look back, well, then the creator must then be like that, right? The creator must be orderly. He must be purposeful. He must be um, exactly like this creation reveals himself to be. Now, it's important to realize, we'll look at this a little bit lower down, but it's important to realize that you can't understand fully from just looking at the outward creation what God is like. You can't, for instance, hear the gospel and be saved by looking at a sunset, right? But you can still know that there's a God. You can still know that that God is an orderly God and a God of beauty and a God of kindness. He let you see that sunset, after all. And so many things you can see and know about him, right? So you might, so in providence and in God's way, he's also given us the scriptures in his, in his created world. He's given us the scriptures. He sent prophets. He sent apostles. He sent all of those people to give us a more um, specific, more uh, a redemptive type of revelation in the truth of the word of God to help us to go back to him to find Jesus Christ. But in creation, generally speaking, all of creation and the ways that God is working in creation is actually intended to reveal, um, is, a, is actually intended to reveal God. And so when we look then at this quote, which I, find, which I found was quite amazing, is 
uh, from Bavink. It says, creation is the initial act and foundation of all divine revelation. And therefore the foundation of all religious and ethical life as well. Hopefully that's not too complicated to follow. What he's really saying is, in creating God, is, it's his initial decision, is his initial act, his initial decision that builds the groundwork for his revelation. And what revelation means is his revealing himself, right? So created, when God created everything, he did so to reveal himself. And then as a result, we then have to look at that world that he's revealed and we have to say, man, I need to ethically and religiously live in line with the way this world is and the way that this God must be. So if he created a God of order, then my life should be in order. Or a world of order, I should say. If God is a God of order, and he created a world of order, and I could see that world of order, and I can see that God is like that, then I should live ethically in order. I should live, I should treat the fellow created being, my neighbor and my friend, as though they're a creation of God, as though they're made in the image of God, as though they deserve the... You see what I'm saying? So we can, we can connect these things together and understand that when God reveals himself in creation, then we should be able to understand, wow, then we should be treating that creation with respect. We should be treating fellow creatures with dignity. We should be loving. And so that's how it brings this ethical thing forth. Yes, Richard? Sorry. You're good. No worries. I think something Absolutely. It's a to uh, special revelation. Yeah. Like the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have natural revelation first. Yes. Like cause, so you have to have a world in which this is set. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was trying to like. I'm going to unpack that special revelation aspect in Providence a bit more. No, you're good. It's like it's it's exactly right what you're saying. There's nowhere to put a Bible if there's not a world to put it into. Right. right kind of thing. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, like... In simple terms. Yeah, like, for example, the Bible doesn't teach us how to, to read it and understand and logically deduce yeah, things it, from it. Yeah, so, in some ways it does, in some ways it does not. You might right. need to study a logic class, but yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's right. So he created this world, and in this world he then gives the Bible, he gives his truth, he gives lots of other different things through his prophets and his apostles and his providence. And the story of how he's working. So, um, yeah, anyways, when, when you see this fact that Bobbing is talking about the ethical and religious life being a result of God's creative work, then we also, we know what it looks like in our world, especially our modern world right now. We know exactly what it looks like when people start living in contradiction to nature, right? When they start living in contradiction to the created order that God has given so I don't need to go into too much graphic detail, but like, for instance, in the pride movement and the LGBTQ for one example, or even any more benign form of sinful self-indulgence, right? It's not, it's not living in line with how God has made the world to be. It's not living in line with the way that he's ordered it to work properly. And so then you naturally see lots of uh, harmful ramifications ethically and religiously as soon as you start to mess with that system. So... Um, yeah, that's kind of one way to look at how understanding what, what Bobbing is saying here. But when it comes to connecting this to God's decree, we need to understand that because God's decree is eternal, then there was never a time in history or in all of eternity when God did not have a plan to create and reveal himself to his creatures and in nature. There was never a time like that. 
And this says something very important to us about our God. Right? This says something very important to us about our God. It means that He desired to create us. He desired to be with us. It means He actually loves His creation. It means He actually loves people. It's quite an amazing reality. If, if there was... Um, if, if God did not have this um, eternal span in and of Himself and He did not plan... Uh, or if He had not had to decide, wow, I'm going to create Jesse. I'm going to create Tony. If he didn't have to do that, then we wouldn't know, okay, for sure. The reason he created Jesse is because he wanted to create Jesse. He wanted to have Jesse there so he could show love to Jesse. You know, he wanted to create Tony there so that he could show love to Tony. It's an amazing thing. He's revealing himself in his creation. And not only that, he's revealing that he is a God who wants to love. He wants to reveal himself. And so the amazing thing about this whole thing is, what is the way that God loves us? The way that he loves us is by revealing himself to us, right? By showing more and more of himself to us. Because he's the greatest treasure, the greatest goal, the greatest end of all of creation. So this is amazing. I hope that's not too complicated. But that's, that's an amazing fruit of this reality that God created all things to reveal himself. Because we can see, wow, that means he must really want to. Be in relationship with us. He must really want to connect with people. He must want to express his love to them. He must want to draw into covenant with them. Because otherwise he wouldn't have made the world. He wouldn't have made it if he didn't want to do that. And it's amazing. It, it indicates to us something very beautiful about the decrees of God. And the way and the reason that he did the things that he did. Again, not the kind of depth or thorough consideration of the impact on the decrees of God that we might want to see. But... We'll look at that more later. So the next point is that God created everything freely. He created everything freely. So when we can take note of the fact here that when God made his decree in eternity, he did so freely, which means there was no constraint upon him. He didn't do it out of necessity or out of the fact that he lacked something or that he was lonely he did it freely for his own glory. He did it freely. There's a freedom in God to be able to create, to do what he wants to do. He's, he's not sitting in heaven. Um, the Trinity is not up there in heaven going, man, I just really would be so incomplete without making Richard. You know, <laughs> although obviously through him saving and loving Richard, it is complete. It's wonderful. But he's not lonely. He's not, he doesn't need anything. He's not a needy God. So in, in Psalm 115, verse 3, we can deduce this. It says, God does whatever He pleases. Revelations 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So He's the one who's creating all things for Himself, for Him to receive glory and honor and power. It's for this, for Him, that He created all things. It's not because He's lonely. It's not because He's sad. Um, it's because he did it for his own glory ultimately. Acts 17 verse 24 to 25 says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with, with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. In other words, he doesn't need anything. He's doing it freely. He created freely. He did it out of the goodness and the freedom that he has in himself. Job 41.11 says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. It's not like he 
is somehow compulsed. It's not like someone's twisting his arm saying that he has to do something. Who has given to God that he should have to repay them? Nobody, right? No one has ever done that. Whatever is under the heaven is his and he did it freely. Psalm 50 verse 10 to 12. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. This is where it gets interesting. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness is mine. If he was hungry, if he was needy, he wouldn't tell you. And what he's really saying there in almost a sort of sarcastic way is he's saying, I don't need anything. I don't ever get lonely. I'm never hungry. I'm God. I'm perfect. And I always will be. And I always do everything I do out of the freedom and the joy and the free and just the free willing goodness of my heart that I have. And this is amazingly um, important for us to understand because in relation to God's decrees, this fact that all things were created freely gives us a lot of perspective when we're looking at the world, right? If God is not lonely or sad and does not need anything from us, then we should not have a view that exalts us to some indispensable and high position. It, we shouldn't have a view that considers ourselves as though God needs us. God needs me for his church to grow. God needs me. God, he's, not, he's not needy. He doesn't need you. You get to participate with God. You don't, he doesn't need you. It's not like he's sitting up there in heaven with his hands tied unable to do anything if his creatures don't participate no he's saying he's saying that he is free he can do with whatever he wants and he can do whatever he wants at any time but rather um, something that's important for us to realize is that we need to look at it from the perspective um, not that God wanted anything from us but that he wanted to share himself and his own love and his life with us that's what he wanted, right? He wants to, first and foremost, the important thing to realize is not how much we are important, but how much he is important and how kind he is to share his life with us and give more of himself to us. And this will help us to have the right perspective because we'll realize that everything that we have is of grace, right? Everything that we have is of grace. If we are to benefit his church, if we are to do anything good in his world whatsoever, it's going to be of grace, it's going to be because of God's grace and his kindness. It's going to be because of something flowing God word first down to us. Because it says in scripture, without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. So everything that we do and everything we say, everything we believe, everything that we are comes from the free God, freely giving his grace, freely giving his strength, freely creating the world, freely doing with that world what he wants. It's in that kind of context that we rightly understand God. It's, rightly, it's in that context that we rightly understand the gospel too. Right? He's not desperate to have Dan on his team because Dan's a tough, awesome guy who can change the world. He's desperate to show his glory. He's desperate freely to show his glory in the world. And, and through that, we get to be the beneficiaries of that freedom. It's a God word down to us perspective instead of us looking as though we are the ones who are somehow the moving, the most important factor in the matter. And so the last thing that I want to do is I want to talk about the fact that God created everything for himself. And so this is the most, or this is kind of something I've been touching on a little bit in different perspectives or in different points of the lesson so far. And what I'm not saying is I'm not saying the same thing as before where I said that God is, it created the world to reveal himself, right? 
I'm changing it to for himself. So this is the fact that God created everything for himself. He did it to reveal himself, but he also did it all for himself. And so this is um, something proven to us by Romans 11.36. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So all things, as many times we talked about in this series, all things means everything. It doesn't mean some things. It means all things. It means all things that take place in the world. Everything that God has created. All of it is, is of Him, through Him, and to Him. And why? Because to Him be the glory forever. To God be the glory forever. That's how, that's how God has created the world. So the reason He created the world is to glorify Himself. He created the world in this way because he, he actually created everything for himself, for him to enjoy that world, for him to glorify himself in that way. So this is intimately connected to the doctrine of the Trinity. And we've talked about the Trinity on various occasions so far for various different points. But this is so cool. Um, the doctrine or the God who decreed all things and created all things is triune. So earlier we studied the fact that God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what this means is that God is and has and has always been one God, but at the same time the three persons means that there has been communion, there has been relationship, there has been love working within the Trinity for all of eternity, within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Bible teaches that since eternity, which we can't even we can't even fathom what that even means. But since eternity, the Father has been in relationship with the Son. The Spirit has been in relationship with the Son, uh, with the Father and the Spirit. The Son, everybody's been in relationship. The Spirit has been searching the deep things of God. It's been this amazing God in relationship and one God. And again, that's beyond my rational faculty to fully understand and fully encapsulate that. Again, that's because I'm a creature. He's the creator. He's a triune. He's three in one. Okay. And so uh, we talked about how this is important. So in, in eternity past, remember we talked about the covenant of redemption, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit making this agreement to save, to seek and save the lost, the elect. In this agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, um, God is working to glorify himself. God is working for himself. And what's one of the necessary fruits of that decree? What's one of the necessary fruits of that agreement between the Father, Son, and Spirit? Well, it's that at some point in time, God had to create a world where He could actually save the lost, where He could actually send His Son into to become a God-man, to become someone who could die on a cross to save the lost, right? He had to create that world and He had to make that into a reality. So the triune God has chosen out of His kindness to create and he's done so as a God who is doing everything for his own glory and is ultimately directing things back to himself. Why? That sounds like sounds self-aggrandizing, right? It sounds wrong. If you or I were to do that and create things just for our own glory, that would be wrong. That would be self-aggrandizing. That's because we're not the greatest being in the universe. The only great thing that the greatest being in the universe can do is to glorify himself because you know what's interesting if God did not create the world to glorify himself if he didn't create the world for himself then guess what 
he would actually be committing idolatry. It's an interesting thought, right? God can't commit idolatry. I'm not suggesting that God can commit idolatry, obviously. But think about it. If God was doing something for someone else above and beyond himself. So, for instance, God said, I created the world to the glory of John. That would be idolatry because God would literally be doing the thing he told John not to do, which is to do for the glory of John. (laughs) Like when God tells John, don't commit idolatry, but worship me. He's especially saying, I'm the greatest thing in the universe. I deserve your worship. I deserve your honor. I deserve your glory. So for God, it's not self-aggrandizement. It's the only common sense thing to do. And in fact, it's the only loving thing he could do. So tell John, don't worship John. Worship me. Everything in creation, every sunset, every mountain, every beautiful thing that's ever been made has been made by God for himself, for his own glory. God does not commit idolatry. God glorifies himself. God is God-focused. God is all about God. And when we get on board with that program and we get, start going all about God instead of all about ourselves and all about our idols and all about our world, then we're going to start to enjoy that unbelievable joy that God has. That God, the joy of the Spirit, the joy of life with God. If we get on the program of worship ourselves, worship our idols, run after all those things, then we're literally falling off of the entire point of why God created the world, right? God created the world for himself. So we looked at this fact, and I think it's unbelievably just in very short terms stated here by Bovink again. It says, The creation proceeds from the Father, through the Son, and in the Spirit, so that in the Spirit, through the Son, may return to the Father. Okay, that's a little bit confusing, I guess. But it's like the Father, the, I, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're all creating the world, of course. Right? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that means that Jesus Christ was there creating the world. But the Bible still puts priority, almost in a sense, on the fact that the Father is the one who, who commissions this work. The Son comes into the world to redeem the world. The Spirit is the one that calls people and points them to the Son. And through that process, in the Spirit and through the Son... All of this stuff can be redeemed and restored again back to the glory of God the Father. That's, whoa, that's crazy. Okay, I didn't make this up. (laughs) It's just unbelievable. I don't know, like, you know, I can't do it justice right now. I'm really hoping that Seth will get more into that next time. But, uh, okay, sweet. So, I can't do it justice at this moment. But, for instance, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28 says that in all of this, in the end... God may be all in all. So the work of Jesus Christ, the work of the Spirit, brings it so that God may be all in all. And this is kind of the climax, the sum of Paul's writing when he gets super fired up and he's very excited. What he concludes with in that moment in Romans eleven thirty six, he says, this is a mystery. I can't explain it properly. But he says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. That's, that's, how, he get, that's how he gets when he's super worked up. And he's in love with the fact that God is a triune God who created all things for his glory. And when he realizes he cannot fully encapsulate the mystery of who God is, of what God's like, of every detail of what God's um, person is like, but he realizes 
man, the world is created for God and I want to get on board with it and I'm filled up with joy about it. And then he goes and he writes that. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. So his focus is Godward. So at the very center of God's creating all things for himself, we have to understand also that there's Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is at the very center of all this because he's the one who's bringing it all back to God. He's the one who came to become a man, who came to the world to live in this sin-soaked and painful world, to bring it all back to God. So through his blood and through his resurrection, there's this, this uh, hope for humanity, this hope that everything will be drawn back to God. And ultimately, God created all things Right? He created all things for himself and for his own glory. And that's sort of encapsulated. And it's, in, in, it's, to, it's fully captured in the fact of who Jesus Christ was. And so we need to see that as well. And so in conclusion, in a final thing, um, I just want to say one more thing. The, uh, we'll look at this quote in a second. But so many people approach this topic of creation and they basically talk about it mostly as if it's a problem of philosophy or about opinions about who they think made the universe and so on and maybe how many days it took and stuff like that. And I believe it took seven days. That's what most people focus on. And I think that's good to focus on those things. But I don't – and I know that Seth is probably going to talk about those things. He's nodding his head. That means yes. Um, he will focus on those things. Those are not bad things to focus on. They're very important things. But I think that sometimes we can – for the sake of those things, we can miss these other sort of theological, these sort of conceptual things that can really root us and ground us and help us to understand kind of why – the why behind it all and the, and the meaning behind it all and how it connects to God and his – character and his person and his beauty and who he is. And so in this relation, um, this guy I've been quoting the whole time, Bob, he says this, he says, the teaching of creation, which occupies a preeminent and pivotal place in scripture is not, however, presented as a philosophical explanation of the problem of existence, though most certainly it offers an answer to the question of the origin of things. That's what I was just explaining, right? It does tell you how many days it took. It does tell you how God made the world. It tells you all that. But its significance is first and foremost religious and ethical. No right relation to God is conceivable apart from this basis. It positions us in the proper relationship to God. So the doctrine of creation is often argued about and fought over on that level when people miss, wow, you don't even have the ability for meaning. You don't have the ability to understand your right relationship to God. You, don't have so, you lack so many theological and core biblical realities in your life if you don't understand the doctrine of creation, which goes above and beyond, not, not to the, at the expense of those other topics, but this is such a crucial thing to understand these deep things and how they connect to our understanding of God. So what he's really saying here is that at the end of the day, God is the creator. We are his creatures. And so it's very important for us to wrap our minds around this, right? He is, um, this is especially the case when it comes to the decrees of God, because we are creatures. We cannot wrap our mind around the infinite God and his knowledge. And so we should never sit and wag our finger at him. We should never sit and judge him as though we have some right to do so. Rather, we should be in a posture of humility and submission to God, willing to surrender to his will and his control over creation, right? And his um, commandments on how to live in accordance with creation in a way that he has created it to work perfectly, in a way that would be pleasing to him. So 
So we need to be in a submissive and humble attitude. And you know when he says there, he says, no right relation to God is conceivable apart from this basis. So what is a right relationship to God? The right relationship to God is to be a submissive and obedient worshiper of Him. Right? That's the right relationship. When we understand the doctrine of creation that we've been talking about today, then this puts us in the right position as a submissive, obedient worshiper who needs to find out information, who needs to find strength in order to go and worship God and serve God and love God. We need to be in that position, not in the position of a judge or somebody who knows it all. And so as we go now, we're going to go and worship, right? It's exactly that. So this doctrine of creation, I'm sure at some points may be a little bit difficult to grasp. Some of the things I was talking about should try to work on being a little more um, simple on that, hopefully. But what I'm trying to get at is the fact that this doctrine is supposed to bring us humility. It's supposed to bring us to a state of submissiveness. It's supposed to bring us to a position where we realize that everything is made by God and fearfully and wonderfully made. And everything that He's done is worthy of praise, right? And we should go and worship Him for that. We should be the people who are broken down and humble and submissive because we don't know all the answers. We don't know everything about this. But He's called us to worship Him. And He's created us for Himself, for that very purpose. And so we have this amazing opportunity this morning to do so. So let us um, let me close this in a word of prayer and then we will go and do exactly that. Father in Heaven, God, we thank you so much for your word and your truth. We thank you for your spirit that guides us into that truth. Uh, God, we thank you for the wisdom that you teach us through your word and even in your world sometimes, Lord, seeing who you are and what you're like through your creation. I pray that you'd help us to just um, worship you with a submissive and obedient attitude this morning and understanding our position rightly. And God, I pray that we would do everything this day to your honor and glory and seek to worship your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.